calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Well, hello! Oh, Rusty Pipes. When's the last time we talked around these parts? <laughs> rusty Pipes? <laughs> but uh, truly, my pipes are rusty. Uh, thanks for noticing. We are back! And we are back for one very, very, very special purpose on this most blessed of days. It might be the most special of all purposes, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. And if you ask a bunch of other people, probably they would say the same thing. Today, we are here to bring you our conversation with the one and the only Charisma Carpenter. Ah, uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Off key. Yeah. But. <laughs> well, <laughs> sounded great. Uh, can you even believe it? Can you even believe we're here uh, and you're about to listen to us talk to Charisma Carpenter? I can't. Me neither. Except I know that it's true. So, wow. We talked about so much stuff. We talked about the show. We talked about politics. I uh, want to let you all know in no uncertain terms that there will be spoilers <laughs> for Buffy and Angel. Uh, also, we're not going to spoil you for what happens at the end of this intro, but Charisma, if you're listening, keep listening because there's a little something special for you at the end of this introduction that I personally am very excited to share with everybody. It's really incredible. So just stay <laughs> tuned for just a couple more minutes. Just a couple more. Uh, and then, you know, if you want to stay tuned for like a, an hour or so, uh, you're probably going to enjoy the conversation. Before we get to the conversation, I want to tell you about something very exciting happening in my orbit. Uh, I am launching a podcast about my so-called life to coincide with the 25th anniversary of the series, which makes me feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I am doing the podcast with Joanna Robinson, who you all know very well because she is a massive friend of the pod over here. Uh, and we have launched a Kickstarter today, this very day, uh, over at Boiler Room Cast. It's called The Boiler Room. That's the name of the podcast. Get it, guys? Do you get I it? get it. And if you, <laughs> if you don't get it, it means you're about to watch my so-called life for the first time, which is very exciting and I'm jealous of you. It Jordan sure is. Catalano's I'm... eyelashes spring oh. eternal. Jordan Catalano's lean. There's a lot to talk about uh, mm -hmm. in the land of my so-called life. Uh, and you can help us make it a reality, boilerroomcast.com. The Kickstarter runs through August 23rd. There's really fun stuff that you can get over there. We're going to be doing some my so-called live watches. Um, we're going to be offering some Skype calls. 
We're going to let you have the pilot in advance of the launch at the end of August. There's all sorts of fun things. You can find out all about it at boiltheroomcast.com. Hooray. That is so exciting. I thought you were just hanging out while we were on our season break, but apparently (laughs) you've been very busy. Uh, Well, you're not the only one who's been busy, uh, (laughs) I'll say. Uh, I've got a new song coming out this week, this Friday, this Friday, July 26th. I have a new song coming out. It's called Vampire Weeknight, and it's the first song uh, on my next forthcoming EP. Uh, And I'm very, 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 very excited about it. You can find it in all the usual places uh, on July 26th. So thematic, um, Jenny, Vampire Weeknight. Yeah, I know. It's like really right. Just really hitting the vein there. Does it go Um, like, I'm a vampire and I love the weeknights? You know, I wish you'd been there at the writing (laughs) session now. I'm really (laughs) kicking myself. It's not quite like that. But you will be able to hear exactly what it is like. On July 26th. Can't wait. Uh, (laughs) uh, I also have a new podcast project coming soon. A little early for details, but if you follow me on Twitter, I will keep you in the loop. So stay tuned for that as well. I don't know why, but I almost started humming the Sex and the City theme song as like a tease for what it is. And it's not. It's not about Sex and the City at all. Of of all the shows. Of all the shows. Um, we want to extend a very, very, very big thank you to so many of you because we sold out um, five Skype sessions with me and five lyric sheets written by Jenny and signed by both of us, raising $1,000 in just a matter of days for Raices. Um, You know that we talk about Buffy here, but we also talk about how the themes in Buffy tie into our current reality, uh, much of which is pretty horrifying right now. Um, so we raised $1,000 for Raices and we are going to raise more money. The limited edition t-shirt that we use to raise money for Time's Up. It says, be the thing that monsters have nightmares about. It is designed by Christine Tuna. We used it um, back when the Me Too movement started to raise funds for Time's Up, and we are re-releasing it for a limited time. It will be up in the store through July 31st, just till the end of this month, and every single shirt, 100% of the profits from those shirts will go to Raices. I think for Time's Up, we raised almost $5,000 with the sales for that shirt. So if you are one of those people who were like, no, why is it gone? It's back now, and it's for a really important cause. Uh, You can find it by going to bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on shop, and you'll see it right up there in the top bar with the season four CD, which is also brand new. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remember that guy? <laughs> I do. It's full of hot, hot jams. Um, you know, I miss everyone. And I know Kristen does, too. And I'm sure you miss us a lot. So it brings me uh, distant anticipatory pleasure <laughs> to remind you that we are going to be back in September. We have our sold out show at World Cafe Live in in Philadelphia on September 13th, Friday the 13th. We'll be back. Uh, And that episode will go live in the feed on September 18th. Hooray! It's hooray. It feels far away, but it also is less far away than it's ever been up till now. And you know what's even less far away? is some really fun shit coming your way if you're a patron of ours um today obviously you're about to listen to our interview with charisma carpenter which is pretty great if you're a patron tomorrow uh you'll get you get cordelia day one and tomorrow you will get cordette 
Cordette, number one, if you ask me, Mercedes mm. McNabb, uh, who plays Harmony in the series. I sat down with her several months ago. Um, we had a great conversation. Um, and if you're a patron, you get that conversation in full tomorrow. So that's exciting. Also, I did a comic book club, the first one. The next one is on August 28th. We're talking about the Boom comic series, the Buffy comic series uh, done by Boom. The first one was really, really fun. Uh, and I'm very excited to do the next one. We'll be talking about issues three and four on August 28th. Also, Jenny, you've been doing some stuff over in the Patreon land. Yes, you played a concert. How did that go? Uh, yes, I, uh, I played a little streaming concert in our secret Facebook group for for the patrons of, of some buffering songs. And it was so fun. I had a blast. Um, I accidentally left my phone vertical for the whole thing. So sorry about how it looks in the uh, feed where it lives forever. But uh, I'll, I'll be doing another one on August 17th. And I will be uh, orienting my phone correctly. That wow. Time. Something to look forward to. Uh, also, you can join us on September 7th when we will be doing our live watch of Buffy versus Dracula in anticipation of that live event. So you can all watch that episode together with us if you're one of our patrons at any level. Yes. I think we've talked just about enough to bring yes. us to the thing that I think we've all been waiting for. Charisma doesn't even know that she's been waiting for it, but we did a little something, didn't we, Jenny? We did, and mostly you did it. It was your idea. It might be the best idea you've ever had. I think it might be the best idea I ever had. I definitely cried a couple of joyful tears while I <laughs> put this together. Um, over 50 of our Scoobies sent in their version of what you're about to hear so that we could all sing this to you, Charisma, together, because today is your birthday, your real life, actual birthday. And we wanted to send you some birthday love. Happy birthday, Charisma. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Charisma. Happy birthday to you. Wow. Oh my God, that was so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's like some of the some of the single files were like like really professional singers and some of them were like definitely not professional singers. And then like some were kids and some were and like the thing that made me feel so powerful about it is that like when they all came together, they were the most beautiful. You sounded like a beautiful know? choir of humanity. Oh, it did. It really did. Um, so <sighs> we hope that you enjoyed Charisma. We hope you have a very happy birthday. Happy birthday. And let's get into the damn interview, shall we? Please. We're sitting here with somebody. She's not a big deal, I don't think, too much to the show or our podcast right. listeners. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I think maybe they might be into it that we're sitting here with um, Charisma Carpenter. Hi. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you learned about us from our listeners. I think that that's how this all happened. You were our first jingle. The first jingle we ever made was for Cordelia. Are you going to play it for me? Would you like us to play I it for you? I kind of do. So, so this is hysterical. I'll play. I'll find it. I think I might have it in my iTunes right now. So let's just 
Give me one second. It's the jingle that launched a thousand jingles. You actually have two jingles. I have two jingles? Now, and I don't have, also maybe I could find the second one. You do, because we, we made you a jingle for Buffy, um, for your for Cordelia's arc on Buffy, the very first jingle in our universe. And then uh. we have a spinoff podcast for Angel that Jenny and I don't host, but it's like in tandem with our discussion of Buffy. Yes. So we go every other week. Um, and so when Cordelia got her visions... Yes. We revamped, no pun intended, the jingle. <laughs> um, so it's a little more hardcore. Oh. But I'm going to play you the original jingle. <laughs> it's Harpy. Yes. Cordelia. Yeah, totally rocks. It. Like we, we, it was so fun to like come back into like. Kristen had only seen the series one time. I've, I'd seen it a bunch of times before we started the podcast. So like we kind of like had a, a handle on like how much Cordelia grows and changes over the the span of the whole of of Buffy and Angel. So like even when um you know even when she is like her most uh cutting before you like really start to see like the layers and the vulnerability and stuff we have like nothing but love for cordelia that's so sweet because i would imagine uh the harp cordelia version would be maybe later when she deepens <laughs> so it's interesting that you went with love when she was such a bitch <laughs> <laughs> so one-dimensional definitely dependable to you know um slice and dice a person um, with a word. You know, it's just kind of funny that you went with such a soft, loving, tender jingle for someone so awful. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that, I think it was two things for us. I think in the beginning it was probably like we thought we were separating our knowledge of Cordelia's long arc, but probably we didn't completely. Like we always know where you're going. Well, and, I love it. And right. I think it's sweet. And I just want you to know that I've downloaded it. <laughs> And it's a part of my uh, ringtone. Amazing. So when people Perfect. call you, it's just Jenny singing to you. Great. Cordelia. Great, great. No, um, it's only people that are on the show. Wait, are I you? I assign them to people that are on the show with me. Really? Yeah. Wow. God. So it's not like my overall, like if my son calls, I have Stewie, you know, where he goes, mom, mom, mommy. <laughs> and then, and then uh, certain people have certain, you know, jingles or whatever. But anybody that's in my cast of Angel, Buffy or whatever, it's the Cordelia. Wow. So I know who's calling. Amazing. What a way to start this interview. Truly. <laughs> Just flooring us well, completely. I'm a fan of you guys and I love and appreciate you. So it's, um, it's sweet. But yes, I found out about your podcast through... I kept getting Twitter, and I do see them, but I just dismissed it, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I guess I am in a space right now since the 2016 election of uh -huh. that Cretan. And I'm sorry if you're a Trump fan. I seriously <laughs> doubt any of the them audience <laughs> for that. But I'm just going to say, like, everybody's entitled to their opinion. It's free speech. This is America. And I'm not a fan of our president. <laughs> Shocker. Um, but on Twitter, I mean, that's really just been my focus for yeah. the last two years. So mm -hmm. when I saw the Buffering Podcast tweets, you know, not from, I didn't see any from you directly, I don't recall, but I remember it kind of coming through and coming through. And then finally I was at a convention recently and somebody was just like, listen, <laughs> there's this podcast. It's amazing. And they're so devoted to you and the show and you should learn about it and you should find out about it. I'm like, okay, okay. 
gosh, you know, like, <laughs> let me get on this. I feel like I'm out of the loop. And they were so passionate about it. And they were just such big fans of you guys. And I guess you just do a fantastic job. And then I started, you know, researching you and, and listening to some of your stuff. And I heard the jingle. They played it for me. And so I downloaded it. So you guys Amazing. are um, kind of a big deal. <laughs> Wow, you're really turning the tables on us. <laughs> um, it's funny, though, that you bring up the election because it it has been, I think, one of the biggest reasons that the podcast for us has taken the shape and the form that it's taken because we started doing the podcast two months before that election, um, completely unaware of the fact even that we were about to come upon the 20th anniversary of the show mm. um, and definitely unaware of everything that was about to happen to our country mm. um, in politics. And so we were talking about Buffy and the characters and the feminism in the show and, you know, fighting evil mm. and all this stuff. And when how we- it, you know, actually is a metaphor for our Real life circumstances. Exactly. Yes. And and I think that's why, you know, the, the wonderful humans. And if you're listening to this, you know who you are. You're the reason that we're sitting here having this interview. So thank you. Um, but the reason that they're so passionate is, I think, partly because of the love that they have for the show um, and how that love translates to helping us get through some of these difficult times that we're facing now. Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, much like the themes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and how their Shakespearean in theme and and how you can translate sort of the literature of those days and make them current today through the voice of Joss and David Greenwald mm-hmm. and Tim Maneer and, and Marty Noxon and um, David Pugh, like all these wonderful writers that came along, um, that their voice is able to resonate with an audience that can transport themselves to their experience in high school and how you have hyena and how they're running packs and evil mm-hmm. and Cordelia and the Cordettes and how very real that is. And then the metaphors and how it translates to modern day and how people feel. They're universal themes. Yeah. And so I think, too, it's divine intervention that you guys uh, came upon it at the time of the 20-year reunion that it was actually – this administration that has launched a thousand feelings and that there is this as an outlet and um, you're helping people. You know, that's one of the greatest things about doing the podcast, Um, not the podcast, but the cons that I do is because Mm -hmm. I get to interface with fans and I never really took my job. I took it seriously, but I didn't think I was like a neurosurgeon and I'm not like healing cancer and I'm not healing people. But what I've really found out from fans is that the show really did heal people and it's sentimental and it's a thread uh, of a bigger fabric of people's lives, you know, where they're associating the show and the themes and, and healing themselves and having better and greater understanding of the bullies because they see Cordelia's transition and that their hurt people hurt people and that also in real life, they're bonding with a sick mother that's dying of cancer. And that's the one thing that they had in common and they get mm. to come together. You know, it's such a fabric, all of us. And we're all so connected in that we have this universe together, this sort of community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you're just elevating that community. So that's amazing. It's been, it's been really powerful. And we knew, obviously, that there was such a massive fandom for the show before we started. But um, I think which you were a part of, which we were a part of. Yeah. But, well, we were a part of it, but I don't think that we were a part of it to the depth of which people are a part of it, and now we are a part of it. Like I think that yeah, we've yeah. like really gotten much, much deeper in yeah. our love for not only the series but the community that 
exists around That's exactly how I feel. Like the fans have deepened my appreciation for the work I did. Mm -hmm. It's provided, not that you should get your self-esteem from others, but it's made me appreciate the work that I did and that I, and what a privilege it was to get to do that work mm-hmm. and that it touched so many people's lives. It's just mind bending. Right. And continues to. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but our podcast is spoiler free. This interview will not be spoiler free, but our podcast is spoiler free because so many people are listening to the podcast while they watch the series for the How first time. How do you do that? Times. <laughs> very it's very so challenging. And, and so many people, like so many people who are like around our age are watching with their kids yeah. yes. for the first time, yeah. which is amazing. I know. Imagine meeting people and they name their daughter Cordelia. Uh, we have yeah. people, <laughs> we have a handful of people who are so excited that we made a jingle for their daughters, like who are like, here's a, here's a video of my baby listening to the Cordelia jingle. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so touching. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm, it really is um, more more powerful than we realize, and I'm sure that you've had that experience over many yeah, years. Yeah, it's mine. You know, it's funny because you're, I guess, to a certain extent, you cross a line where you embrace because. Okay, so from my from my point of view, I can't be that into it because then it's narcissistic, right? Right. <laughs> right. You know what you I mean? Like Cordelia, I can't be. So. I can't be that into that show. Sure. There's got to be sort of like this removal. Like that was just a part I played, right? Mm-hmm. But what I've learned <laughs> and and age does this and 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 cons and my interaction with fans have taught me is that it's okay to really embrace and love the show and to be a nerd in it and to embrace that love and to embrace that appreciation. It it's it sort of taught me to see the show from the outsider in rather than being the insider. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? hundred mm-hmm. percent. Like it's, um, it's been really transformative. Just my encounters and, and embracing the cons and, and interacting with them and, um, listening to their stories. It's just and there, phenomenal. I think there's something really powerful too, that we've, we've seen as we've done this journey or, you know, we're like halfway through, I guess more than halfway through the journey now, but that people, the way that people um, relate to the characters on the show then deepen even further when, and for us too, like as we sit down with people who are on the show, it's just one after another, after another person who is phenomenal and wonderful and open and kind and caring and engaged in politics. Like, just like, there's so much good in the humans that were involved in making this show that it seems like that has to be a part of why the show was as magical Mm -hmm. or the shows were as magical as they were. And really good writing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the theme, it really does just start on the page. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just be what I think Buffy has created was a platform from all of, for all of us to jump into Mm -hmm. and embrace or not embrace or what have you. But I think there is some truth to that, but, um, I, I'd like to believe, anyway, that there is a lot of truth to that mm-hmm. um, because I'm I'm a part of that and I would like to believe I'm a good human or do my best to be as human as possible, you know, good, bad, and the ugly. I mean, we, we're we all of it. We're one. Yeah. But um, that is something to think about. Yeah. You know, it's sweet. So should we should we backtrack and, and start sure. at the beginning okay. of this whole journey? I mean, we're, obviously, we want to have more of a conversation about the bigger themes and all that, too, but... I think I'm that, here for it. I think that I think that everybody would love to know. This might be how, a two-parter. Right, right. 
because I'd chat. <laughs> I'm chatty. You know, when we sat down to, to talk with James, like we literally did speak for like an hour and a half to two hours. I'm not um, surprised. Yeah. And he was like, so we'll do this again sometime. We were like, great, sure. Like, yeah. we'll, we'll talk to you for as long as you want to talk He really is so great yeah. with, I mean, he, unlike me, embraced it early. Mm-hmm. He was, he was able to do that and see that and sooner than me. And right. I think he has influenced me for the better in that regard. I've seen him interact with his fans and I've seen the joy that he brings people. And uh, it's really affected me too. And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm honored to, you know, attend as many cons as he has with and be beside him in that. Yeah. I'm, I, I lear- I, I'm open. I'm learning, you know, as I go. If you don't mind, if it's not too elementary, would you <laughs> talk to us a little bit about like how you got and like how you came to acting and and how you came to be on Buffy specifically? Sure. I was working at Mirabelle Restaurant on Sunset Boulevard. I came to Los Angeles for a boy uh-huh. uh, that I was in love with. Uh, we met in high school. So we had dated on and off for like five years, mm. but I didn't really kind of take that relationship that seriously. Uh, and then I w- came to visit one time and I we fell in love. And so v- eventually we decided we'd move in. And I moved to Los Angeles and I, the plan was to go back to school. And I hadn't even taken an SAT. I hadn't done any of that. So I had to wait to get my residency, if you will, mm-hmm. so I could not pay the higher tuition fee in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go to Santa Monica and get my AA degree and then move on to teaching. I wanted to be a teacher. And that was a plan. And then life happened. And (laughs) I was uh, seen, spotted, whatever you want to say. Somebody said, what are you doing with your life? Are you you a model? Are you an actor? What do you do? And I'm like, oh, no, no. I I just moved here and I'm going to go to college to be a teacher. And they're like, you know, you should probably try this whole commercial thing at least um, because you could earn a living. And have more time for your studies so you don't have to work a five-hour shift for mm. like $2 an hour. Right. I mean, because that's how old I am. That's what minimum age <laughs> was. And uh, I said, that sounds like an amazing idea. Where do I sign up for that? Well, I have a friend. And I went to go meet this commercial agent named Gordon Rail, who is also on Sunset Boulevard. I just walked right over. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> he said, let's take some test photos. And I started going on to commercials. And I started booking commercials. And then I went to the School of Creative and Performing Arts as a child, and I'd been a performer my entire life since I remember. Like five years old, I was in ballet class, and then around seven or eight, I was a part of a talent troupe in Las Vegas called The Young Entertainers, uh, for which I'm writing something that may or may not ever go, but I'm writing something um, to speak to that experience, which is hilarious. Um, Just these young, optimistic, you know, young group of kids singing I Am a Promise to a bunch of lounge lizards. Um, it's it's just going to be amazing. Oh um, so that's kind of my long overhauling plan. But to kind of be more brief, I'm terrible. I'm so freaking no, chatty. No one here wants you to be brief, so don't worry about okay, it. Okay. So I go meet Gordon Rail. I take my pictures. I'm booking commercials. Uh, I eventually get to quit Mirabelle Restaurant and uh, pursue acting, which was not the plan. Um, I go to Playhouse West. I'm studying with Robert Carnegie over there. Uh, Jeff Goldblum was on the board of trustees. I guess he was casting a movie, which the name of it I don't recall. And he saw me after class and said, I, I'm about to start this movie. I was wondering if you'd like to come in and audition for it. And I said, hell to the yeah. <laughs> I go to the audition. 
And the scene is this, you know, rebellious teenage girl that's being told by her parents what to do, and she is rebelling. Shocker. And <laughs> um, there's a moment in this scene where I'm in the audition, and I've never auditioned in my life before, but I'm, I'm in acting class, so I know what to do, if you will. And there was this moment where he stands up, and he really became my dad. And he was like, you are not doing this and you will, will do this and da-da-da. And I was in it. I believed in the situation. I was listening to him. I was reacting to him. And everything that I was saying and I had planned to say went out the window and we were acting. And that moment was it. This mm -hmm. is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. This moment-to-moment -moment just being transported to this other place, this other relationship, and believing 110% in it. And it felt fucking amazing. Wow. I can say that, right? You sure can. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> and I left that audition not caring if I got the part, which I didn't. Spoiler alert. I did not get the part. Alicia Silverstone did. Oh, wow. Who I ended up later working with. I never <laughs> told her this story. I should probably tell her this story. But anyway, I'm leaving the audition and I, I mean, I felt like Mary Tyler Moore, you know, in that right. moment where she's tossing her hat in the air and it's like, <laughs> this is it, you know, and I'm walking. It's like this romantic thing where I'm walking down the street between these huge stages and warehouses where, you know, history is being made in film and television. And I'm walking down and I'm like, this is my life. This is what I want to do. And then you did. And then I did. <laughs> I did. I got to be a lucky one. Wow. So that moment happened. Yeah. You didn't get that part, but you were no. transformed. I didn't care. Right. Because that, was, that wasn't the point. The point mm -hmm. was, and this is still my philosophy when I go into auditions, it's not about the result. For me, it's 100% the process. Did I do what I was set out to do? Um, did I do a good job? Would I hire me? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think I'm my biggest critic. And I I can walk out of a room or walk – I can have that experience and be like, I don't know if I got that part, but that was fucking amazing. Right. And they're stupid if they don't hire me. Right, right. <laughs> not, a good philosophy no, for not, many things. Not stupid, but you know, like they're lost. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm invested and I believed and I feel like I'm right for the part. And for whatever reason, that's why you can't take it personally when you don't get it because you don't know. I could remind somebody of their ex-wife and they'd be like, fuck that bitch. Right. She's not getting the part. <laughs> right. I don't want to look at that face for the rest of my life over the next seven years or whatever. Right, right, right. It's not personal. So – so then where does Buffy fall on the timeline for you, you know, from that moment? How long was it before you It auditioned? wasn't that much longer. Um, let's see. I did Malibu Shores. So, I mean, I probably was in acting class solely and didn't have an agent or anything because I didn't have an agent then. Probably two years, maybe. Mm -hmm. I, I was in acting class for a year and then I was doing commercials and then I booked Malibu Shores. So I was working on that show. And then the audition for Buffy came through and I, you know, was obviously on Malibu Shores. So I agreed to do the audition. I auditioned for Buffy, me and the rest of the town. <laughs> and um, what happened was I read for Buffy, which was a monologue and it was a really long one. And I had studied the whole night before. And then the next day I read and they said, can you go prepare, like on the spot, can you go outside and hear the sides for Cordelia and go read for her? And I was like, sure, my worst nightmare, of course, no problem. <laughs> um, so let me just go do that real quick and memorize this super fast. 
But you know, when you're young, you don't care. It's like, Mm -hmm. you just roll with it. Mm -hmm. I want that back. That sense of (laughs) invincibility, you know, like when you get older, you just become more fragile. I think you just get more caught up in things like that carefree. It's, it's actually a thing. It's developmentally speaking. It's a thing. Well, you don't know like how much pain you can experience. That too. That's a very good point. That's why you're carefree is because like you haven't fallen on your face. Generally speaking, when you're younger, you haven't fallen on your face too many times to be afraid of it. True. True. So, you know. All you kids, you know, uh, enjoy that. And while you <laughs> that got it. Invinci- yeah. Invincibility. Um, so, yeah, of course, I, I got there and then, like, I, I did a great job. And then they brought me in to read for the network, which was Garth Davies at the time and Joss Whedon. So that day that I was testing for Cordelia, I was working on the set of Malibu Shores, which was shooting way, way, way down in Long Beach. Oh, And the audition for Buffy was way, way, way north in Burbank. Oh, God. Like deep Burbank. Uh Like the ranch. (laughs) Not the Warner Brothers right there in Barham. It had to be the ranch even further, right? So it was – and it was raining. And it never oh, rained. No. And it was rush hour, right? <laughs> so I was in my little Nissan Sentra, you know, two windows, no air. Um, <laughs> a rush hour traffic, still in my outfit. I, I said to the costume designer, can I please wear this outfit for my audition? Da, da, da. They're like, sure, that's fine. I'm like driving in my car and I had a beeper then. Oh, <laughs> yes. now there we are. Yes. And I literally have bet. So I asked the Teamsters on Malibu Shores, what is the fastest way to get to the Warner Brothers branch? And they gave me these directions, which, by the way, I think might have been the slowest way to get there possible. <laughs> so I'm on like, I don't know, I'm on the 405 South to the 710 to the 101 North to get off on Barham. Around the 101 to Barham was the longest stretch. I mean, it's shorter in distance, but the longest in traffic. So, and it's raining. And it's nighttime now. And I get the, I've been getting about five 911 calls from my agent at the time named Wendy Green. God bless her. And I'm like getting, now I'm getting annoyed. Like, I don't have a phone. I'm stuck in, what the what is she possibly going to tell me right now? So I pull off and there's a liquor store on the corner of, uh, not on the corner, but at the on and off ramp of the 101 and Barham. There's a liquor store with a payphone. So I pull over because there were no cell phones. And if they had them, I was too poor to have one. So I, you know, dial my agent. I'm like, what's up? She's like, where are you? They want to leave. They're starving. And I go, you tell them to order a large pizza because I've been in traffic for an hour and they are good. Going to see me. <laughs> like, who says that? Who says, like, the uh, balls Cordelia. on this girl? Right? Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. Right? Like, she's got the You know what? That's true. So I tell Wendy, I'm like, I, they do not let them leave. I am literally at Barham. I will be there in 15 minutes or less. I'm doing my best to get there. This has been quite a drama for me. So feed them. And, uh, and tell them to stay put. And she says, she's, she, I think she was aghast oh, at my wow. like attitude, you know? Right. So I hang up the phone cause I'm kind of pissed. Like you're not leaving. <laughs> you don't know what I've been through to get here. <laughs> and so I get there and I, and it's them and they couldn't be nicer. They couldn't be like, I don't think they were really hungry. I think, you know, what, you know, I don't know what the assistant told my agent that told, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Totally. Who knows what the actual truth is. So I get in there and I read and I leave. I do a great job. I feel great about it anyway. I don't know if I got it. I think I got it. I 
I got it. So I <laughs> spoiler. I, so I walk into the other room. They ask me to wait, which is always a good sign. So I go in the other room and I and I see a phone and I call my agent. I go, I just want you to know that I got the part. She goes, Don't say that. And I go, I got the part. I'm just telling you, I know these things. I can feel it, and I I got the part. And so then she's like, you know, okay. And and I hang up. And then they come out and they're like, that was great. Thanks, you're done. And I was like. Maybe I didn't get the part. So then I leave and again, I get a page (laughs) and I'm in my car and I have no phone. So um, I'm much more relaxed at this point. I get home and I get a phone call and I, you know, those were the days when decisions were made on the spot. Like by the Mm. time I drove from Burbank to my house in Beverly Hills, which sounds pretentious, but let me, let me tell you, it's not. This was (laughs) the reality of my Beverly Hills lifestyle. (laughs) I had a studio part. It was a matchbox. Seriously. And I shared it with a roommate and our beds were side by side. And I had a golden retriever and she had a dog. So there was four of us and maybe 600 square feet, 450 square feet. Uh I'm really not sure, Uh but it was tiny. (laughs) And uh, ring, ring. I pick up the phone. You got the part. And that's my story. Wow. (laughs) That story was so rooted in 1995 or wherever we were in time. You know, like the payphone, the payphone, right? The The payphone. Oh, part of that story, I think, like really tickled both of us for exactly the reason that you said, Jenny, like who would do that? Who would say that? Like Cordelia, literally Cordelia. And I think that that like might be a good segue into talking about the character of Cordelia and her arc, because you call this out, like that jingle's so loving, but she was a total bitch at first. Mm-hmm. Cordelia has this massive arc. And so I wonder at that moment when you got the part, what did you know? Uh, like, what did anyone know of Cordelia? Was she, did she already have some of her arc? Did you know anything of where no. she was going? Nope. I knew nothing. Unlike maybe other people, first of all, they don't really. I suppose if I could have walked into the writer's office and said, what's up next? Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that was my place. Like, Mm. to be honest with you, I was so new to it. I I really, I was on another show before this. That was great. Uh, We did maybe eight episodes. Mm -hmm. And truly, I'm a very anxious (laughs) actor. So (laughs) I was constantly in survival mode, I feel like. And I was managing my own expectations, my own expectations for the scene. Uh, and it was really all very in that moment. I was right. very present in present day and very clear. I wasn't looking down the road. I did have, and I think I could relax. I didn't have to think like that mm-hmm. because I knew the quality of people behind behind the curtain. So mm-hmm. there was really no concern. And I was just grateful, you know, to have the job. I didn't even know I had that kind of say. You know what I mean? I don't know how to explain it or how to articulate what I'm saying. I wasn't the lead of the show. I was a supporting cast. This was, technically speaking, maybe my 10th time on camera when we shot the pilot. Mm, So it was really about me. Okay, I'm exaggerating. Maybe 15th time. (laughs) Because I did do Josh Kirby and and Baywatch or something. You know, like a couple of things. But literally, as, as far as having to also to keep in mind is... The way Joss writes and the language he uses is very unique to Joss writing. And you know how you have a point and his way of speaking is to identify everything except the point. Mm. So, and I wish I could give you a well-articulated example, but (laughs) you talk backwards. It's sort of like Yoda speak. Um, (laughs) And that's a very unique 
tone and style of his writing. So it's new and it's not something I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn it. So I was very in the moment is yeah. the best way to explain it. Yeah. So I didn't, I wasn't worried about tomorrow. I was just too busy to deal with today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As as you progressed on the show, was there a moment when you sort of like realized that the character you were playing was transforming or expanding from like just being kind of like this like cold, tough, guarded, very popular. Was she though? (laughs) (laughs) Was she popular? I guess it's sort of like, or just feared. Well, one way or another, she was like wielding her power, right? Was there a moment when you started to realize you were like, your character was transitioning from that to, to becoming, you know, more like sure. starting to like peel back the layers and and see that vulnerability the softness and her sort of like golden hearted potential i guess so two responses one was literally a hammer on my head by david greenwald there was a scene we were shooting homecoming uh yes and i had the spatula in my hand yes <laughs> and i was really frustrated i was frustrated with the character mm and I said to Greeny two two times I've said to Greeny two I had two moments where I was frustrated with the character. Like, is she a slut? And I don't know how I feel about that. And Greeny's response was, I think she knows her way about around a, a dude. You know, <laughs> something to that effect. And and it was almost like, why would you want to have to apologize? And I was very I was conservative. And I was going through my personal stuff, which was reconciling fame, money, and faith. Mm. At the same time, I'm working on this vampire show. Sure. <laughs> which, which were bringing up all of my character defects, right? So I needed to latch onto something personal to me to stay grounded mm. because I was feeling not grounded. I wasn't feeling rooted. I didn't, I wasn't sure what was happening, what was going on. So I was really seeking for something to hold on to. So I latched on to Catholicism and, um, which was an interesting choice at the time, but it was all I knew. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I was seeking my confirmation and I've never really spoken about this. So I was going through two years of catechism classes every Wednesday and Sunday for, you know, two or three hours each day for two years. And then I sought my confirmation. And during that time, I was reconciling premarital sex, uh, my faith, all of this stuff, all of these themes, these personal things are going on in tandem with this vampire show, mm. which is bringing in all these other mm. themes in my life. And it was re- it was really an eye, like my brain, the top of my head was just exploding <laughs> with themes, ideas, faith, um, just layers and layers of stuff. And so then I was faced with, you know, is she a slut and how do I feel about that? And is this a betrayal of me and my faith? Is, you know, is this a problem for me? And why is it a problem? Like it, I was questioning mm-hmm. the, my faith and the Catholicism and what they were putting on me and then also the show and then also what was my own. I had all these points of view and then I was trying to find my own point of view within those points of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not to be convoluted. <laughs> Jesus. Um, stay with me, people. Um, I beg you. I have a point somewhere. So there was that. And, you know, David made it okay to be sexually curious, to be sexually liberated, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and not without judgment. 
Right. And that was the first time I'd ever been open or had somebody of authority. In my mind, I see things, men generally as authority, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I even th- thought of as God as authority. Mm-hmm. I had no idea we're going down this rabbit hole. But to me, you know, when I was going through Catholicism and catechism classes, it was mm-hmm. about rearranging that idea where God was my boss or somebody to answer to, right. where he became my peer, my friend, my buddy, my right-hand man, my my person that was walking with me, not above me or mm-hmm. in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I was really struggling with those themes. And then to bring in David Greenwald, who I also admired, mm-hmm. respected, was my boss, saying, it's okay. It's okay to want to be sexual. It's okay to be sexy. It's okay to explore those things. And I had never, ever, ever been told that before. Wow. And that was kind of a peril. It was a it was a hammer to the head. Yeah, I was wow. like, whoa, a lot to process in a moment. The second thing was spatula in my hand. You know, this whole like, I guess I need to hit it on the head. I was so freaking annoyed with that line, and I'm like, listen, this is my third year on the Hellmouth. Do you think that I might know what I'm fucking doing <laughs> with the demon by now? Like, can I please have a more powerful moment? Can I please, like, have a solution? Can I please vanquish a vampire? Can Like, can I have learned anything thus far? Like, really, do I have to do this? Why does she have to be so stupid? Mm-hmm. And that, that was me protesting. And David and Joss were there for that rant. And <laughs> Joss said nothing. And David goes, um, Charisma, this is why America loves you. <laughs> Because you're funny, because that is a ridiculous situation. Sometimes people panic, Mm -hmm. and sometimes people say the ridiculous things, and that's what's fun. Like, have fun. Lighten the fuck up. Like, he didn't say lighten the fuck up, but Mm -hmm. that was the message. Lighten up. And I was like, oh, oh, America loves me? (laughs) I rewind back to the beginning. Hold on. That's so cordial. Um, Wait, can you go back to America loves me? Wait, I just missed that part. Can you? Like, what do you mean? How do you know America loves me? In what way does America love me? Can you be more specific? I need details. Like, please love me. Um, and tell me all the ways in which you do. And they, they, you know, they laughed, of course. And I lightened the fuck up. I got with it. It was me, Charisma, trying to inform Cordelia and impose my angst onto her rather than just being free. Being free and just doing it. So there I am with the spatula and really for the first time embracing her ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. And it worked. It, it definitely did. <laughs> so th- those were the two moments for me where I realized she was changing. But yeah. also when um, she catches uh, Xander cheating on her with Willow. Mm-hmm. Like that was, I think, for everyone – the moment where you see somebody that's seemingly heartless and unfeeling be affected. Mm-hmm. And then you can't help but feel sad for that person because you're like, oh, hold on. Mean people have feelings too. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> right. And maybe they are mean because their feelings are so tender and like whatever their like life journey has been, like they've built up these walls specifically to protect themselves. Right. And I, I think that there's so much to the story that you just told with the spatula and Cordelia's ridiculousness and you as charisma being like, hey, can this girl like have a fucking clue about anything? Like, I just think there's a lot there, right? Because also you're a woman and, Mm -hmm. you know, like playing a character that is um, at least at the outset portrayed as like a mean girl and like somebody who is wielding a spatula instead Mm -hmm. of a stake. 
there's a lot there. And I don't know. And you probably know way more than we do. But it seems like perhaps that rant may have informed some of Cordelia's growth because she does kill a vampire. Well, there's right? a story behind that. Okay, great. So graduation. Um, <laughs> so graduation is the episode, and I think that was the wrap. Like that night that I staked that vampire was our season wrap. So <laughs> I say to Joss again, I say, could you please just, can I just have one? Can I just have one <laughs> <Hell> vampire? <yeah. laughs> I would, and he said to me, you know, you're the only one that's been nice to me tonight. So yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Which I had no idea what he was talking about or what he meant by that. But I was, I got yes. So I was stoked. <laughs> and that's the only reason why I, I asked, I go, can she please, can she please just right. have a moment of, of strength? And, you know, and he said, yeah. And, and that was that. And at that, so graduation day is. Before season Angel. three, right? And so, did you know when you were filming graduation day? I don't that you remember were moving to Angel. I don't remember the date that and how it, re- yeah. how the timing was. It was a really long time ago. I don't remember exactly. But to speak to one more thing about uh, when I realized that Cordelia was more, mm. two was uh, little sprinkles of things. I think the episode I don't remember the name of it. Forgive me. Might have been Lovers Walk when Cordelia gets the locket and uh, gives it back. I think you get an insight to what her personal life is at home, how there's a bit of neglect there. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of money, but that doesn't, like, money doesn't equate love. Yeah, yeah. And she's feeling, you know, she's a bit neglected, and she's just operating in this really narcissistic way because she's had to be. Because Mm -hmm. if she didn't care for herself, nobody would care for her. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is kind of one more piece of evidence that uh, we're going to... Uh, feel more for her. We yeah, we get yeah. an idea of why people are the way that they are. Yeah. Yeah. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. 
and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I would like to talk about Mean Girls, um, just in general, right? Cordelia starts as like the stereotypical mean girl. Sure. I wonder what your thoughts are on that character trope of the mean girl. Like if you if you have other characters that you look to to inform that, um, if you find Cordelia <laughs> at the outset to just be a, a bitch or if there's anything like that you think uh, in that kind of character can empower women. Mm. So the simple answer is it was on the page. So there wasn't a there wasn't a lot of nobody had to sit down with me and said, okay, this is her background. A lot of times you don't know. Mm -hmm. So you have to do the research yourself and make choices um, based on the information that you do have. And sometimes those choices can be recognized by writers and then they take your lead or vice versa. You know, you you're just taking it off the page and you're just taking it as face value and building on that. Um, it was one of the darkest moments, I think, Cordelia, her meanest, one of her meanest moments, I think, was the episode where, I can't remember the name of it, forgive me again, where the where she's trying out for cheerleading mm -hmm. and the witch, the girl who, was her character named Amy? Uh, Amy, yeah. 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 And we're in the locker room and I'm like, nobody's getting in my way. Like, stay, basically, stay yeah. the fuck out of my way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think there is something amazing about somebody that knows what they want and knows how to get it. Uh, I think that's intense and probably will get you far in the wild. <laughs> not a real friendship supportive role to take. You know, you're not going to necessarily um, build a, a group of, of, of people to support you when you're that alienating. But does that kind of person need support? I don't know. She was uh, very powerful. And I think that moment of slamming the uh, locker door in her face and just being like, stay out of my way is kind of admirable and frightening at the same time. Right, right. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, a little piece of charisma, one of my biggest personal pet peeves is indecision. Mm. Uh, I don't like people that are indecisive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have to practice a ton of patience. Mm -hmm. And there, I don't really even know after being Cordelia for so long, I don't know who informed who. If I became Cordelia, Cordelia was always there and it just got brought out. But like literally, I'm like, make a decision. Right. <laughs> I don't have mm – -hmm. I don't want to spend – I don't want to watch you <laughs> go through this process. Can I decide for you? Yeah. Like it's so hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll say it. I'll be like, I can see that you're really struggling with de this decision. Is there anything I can do to support you and <laughs> getting to the next level? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's a way to say, like, Cordelia would never, maybe now as as an executive at 40, she's able to <laughs> gently <laughs> say you're really fucking annoying. Make a choice. Um, and I, I'm very, I, I don't think that that. I think for me, what I've learned is to balance that. To yeah. have that annoy, you know, be annoyed, feel prickly around a subject, and be able to speak to another person in a respectful way, but not, you know, lovingly <laughs> the, nudge them in a decision. <laughs> like, let's go. <laughs> we can do this. I believe, you know, um, you got this, girl. Right. You know, it, that that's me now. Yeah. Like, I, I am, you know, doing everything I can to cheerlead for people to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and uh, I hope that works. I hope I still have friends <laughs> feel supported. Cheerleading is a great segue to yeah, one of your top felt, questions. Well, I was wondering, because I have read, heard, yes. uh, that you were a Chargers cheerleader yes. briefly before uh, your time on Buffy. And I, that made me wonder if you did any of your own stunts. We talked to James right. a lot about him doing his own stunts. Sure. And so I was thinking, oh, wow, like gymnastics. Like, was there right. anything that you recall doing or were you like, no, thank you? Well, being the damsel in distress all the time, there wasn't like a tremendous amount of things to do, except, you know, there was that one time we were strung up by our ankles <laughs> all day. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember that? That was that was hardcore. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So that wasn't like stunty per se, but they would like string us up and we in, in the effort for time, we had to kind of stay strung up. But th- what they would do is they would like pull a lever, like imagine you're blinds, you know, you right. pull a lever and mm-hmm. the blinds come left or right. <laughs> So they would pull a lever and we would all swing and swing and swing and swing until we made it up to a matted area that was elevated so that we could kind of rest our – so our entire body weight wasn't Upside being down. held by oh our ankles. God. But there was uh, there was that, I remember, um, all day by our ankles. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, I make – it wasn't that bad. Well, I mean, it was it was it was not comfortable. Yeah, but I, mean, I it, feel like it wasn't awful. As casual television viewers, <laughs> we take for granted that like, oh, we saw you hang upside down for like a minute. So that's the sum total of the sh- time you spent. That shot took right. hours. Right, to shoot. of course, so, God. And then like, I would take falls a lot. Mm. Um, I would try to do most of my stunts, but it wasn't like a. A point of pride or anything. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't want to get hurt. Uh, no, no. And, uh, you know, when you're younger, you're like, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite episode of Buffy? Like that, you know, for you as your experience as an actor working on the series? Right. Yeah. I think I liked the episode that featured Cordelia the most. <laughs> Shocking. It was all about me, me, me. Uh, when I got to wear that fabulous skirt suit that was like red leather. Um, oh was, that, was that Lover's oh. Walk? Uh, um, I think that was, was The Wish, right? Yeah. The Wish. Yes, you're right. So mm. The Wish was a great episode. That was a lot of fun for me. Is The Wish also the one where everybody's hanging upside everybody's down? Everybody's hanging upside Big down. Big episode all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of hanging. <laughs> we're either, you know, reptile boy where we're strung up by our arms. We were like in this position for quite a while. Well, well, yeah. You're all that. Yeah. Cordelia's tied up a lot. <laughs> those sets were kind of interesting too because to give that dungeon-y vibe, mm-hmm. there'd be like water, right? And it would take a while to build. And then by the time you go to shoot it, it stinks, mm-hmm. you know, and it would be like moldy or whatever. Oh, and you're like... Is this safe? (laughs) Should I be breathing this? Are we good? We were fine. But, you know, it doesn't smell great. Uh, Reptile? It's not glamorous, y'all. I'm telling you, this is, you know, not not glamorous. So you are a parent now. I am. And, I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about in that domain. But I just wonder um, if you're, like, has, you have one, one son. One son. He's 16. Has your son seen... Buffy or Angel? Okay, so <laughs> around nine or ten, I introduced him to Buffy, and we probably got through a couple of episodes, and then I don't know what happened. He lost interest. <laughs> he was like, no thanks, Mom. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think he's ever seen any of my work. I don't yeah. think he cares. 
to be honest with you. It has to be odd. I feel like we've talked to, you know, various actors from the show who are like, yeah, like we talked to Christine Sutherland who was like, oh, yeah, like I, you know, my my daughter doesn't want to watch me. You know, this arc of my character, like, you know, she plays a mom and then, yeah. you know, it's tragic and sad. Like, yeah. so like her kids, I think, have stayed away from it for their own reasons. But right. it has to be weird to see your parent. I think I'm just a giant source of embarrassment for him. It's almost like <laughs> you do, he doesn't want that kind of attention. He's never been that kid. Right. Like he mm-hmm. doesn't do on the spot well and he doesn't like that sort of attention at mm-hmm. all. I remember really the most recent experience I can say is walking on the playground when I was on The Lion Game for what was then uh, ABC Family, which is now Freeform. Um, But I was on, uh, I went to go visit him at, uh, pick him up from school actually. And there was just a lot of, you know, sometimes you could just, out of the periphery, you can just kind of feel an energy or you can feel like a something. Like there's just something, a crackling in the air where people are, you can tell when people recognize you or they're talking about you. And that was going on. And there was like a bevy of girls over in the corner. And I walked towards Donovan and then they go, hi, aren't you the mom on ABC? And Donovan just wanted to die. (laughs) And they were older, right? They were like in eighth grade and he was probably in sixth or seventh grade then. And he wanted to melt into the playground. He just did not want any part of it. It was horrifying for him. Just go away. Please don't come on the playground ever again. He keeps you real grounded. Well, 16 too. I mean, that's a, an older that's story. That's a whole other level of being grounded. 16 is a very particular place to be like embarrassed of. I feel like I was embarrassed of my parents. And like breathing. They, and nobody existing. knew or cared who they were. So <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm reading this really great book called um, Brain, not Brainwash, uh, Brainstorm. It it's really great at explaining how the teenage brain works. This pulling away and rebellion and risk taking um, behavior is genetic. It's like in our DNA. It's right, necessary, right, right. and it and so if you can like as a parent, for me, I have to because I'm so sensitive. Mm-hmm. I have to, and he's just like the thing that I've wanted all of my life. Like he is the the child that I ever. Like I wanted a boy because I wasn't equipped to have a girl. I didn't feel like I didn't was not mm. confident that I could handle a girl, mm. just because I knew myself and I knew my relationship with my mom, and I was worried. Oh yeah, um, that I wouldn't have the tools to bring up a girl, and I thought it would be safe to have a boy. And what I'm finding is that a teenage boy is a lot like a prepubescent girl. <laughs> like there's a lot going on, and it's mm-hmm. but the difference is it's internal, and so. He gets his feelings hurt really easily. And, you know, we all think we're all good people and we don't hurt people's feelings. But, like, wake up call as a mom, you're like, you, he'll say, you hurt, he doesn't say you hurt my feelings, but he has said to me, you know, you're not perfect. You're always talking about how I'm not doing things. And I have to say mm-hmm. to him, no, no, I don't think I'm perfect. I don't know shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know shit. Okay, but I do know some things about life and there are some things that I think you need to hear me on. And so I but I don't think I'm perfect and I don't think I'm a perfect person, but I think he thinks that I think I am. And so you're hurting each other. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes you can recover and sometimes you can't. And so I I'm in the middle of that right now. Right. Like it's hard. And it's so hard. I imagine, too, that, like, you know, having the thought of, like, I don't know if I could raise a girl because of, like, these reasons, but, like, raising a boy will be easier. I wonder. It's not. Right. I'm, I'm like, sort of, especially right now. I mean, now, I don't know. I don't have a girl, but. I just wonder what it's like to raise 
a teenage boy, especially with everything that's going on right now with Me Too uh, exactly. and, with, you know, like what that has been like if you're comfortable talking about that. Well, it's a huge responsibility because him being elected, this president that's that's been elected, embodies all the things of cheating, womanizing, inappropriate talk, and, and yet he's elevated to the highest office by defini- American definition, the most successful person in our nation, right? Mm. And the leader of the free world, right? A huge, huge responsibility mm. to which he assumes none. And mm. so then as a son, I- I'm spending my whole life until he's elected saying the good guy wins, <laughs> um, educate yourself, um, make sure you know what you're talking about um, before you give an opinion, um, respect women, you know, all of these things. And here we have this person that is the leader of the free world in office. It is a huge undertaking because what that says is do what you want, say what you want, take what you want, and you still win. Mm-hmm. It's all mm-hmm. about winning mm-hmm. and, and that success. And that's not success. That is not success. He represents to me all the things. I mean, I can get so freaking emotional about it. I'm so upset, so upset that he's our president. It's just, it's just a fight. It's a constant fight. Um, It's, it's to me. To speak personally, I'm a single mom. I'm hustling with work. I'm trying to raise a responsible boy, Mm -hmm. uh, man, young man, Mm -hmm. and he's going through things, and he's about to, you know, have his awakening, sexual awakening and all. He is in the middle of it, I guess. Yeah. And and I I want him to be a good man, you know? And then you have this, this situation and, and you're trying to uh, work against it. And it's just a challenge and it stresses me out. So having all of those personal stuff, all this personal stuff going on, I mean, I've been, I've been, I've go to therapy. So I'll be in therapy and I'll just be like, I've, the last two years, I'm worried. I feel like, oh my God, are we going to get, are we going to have a nuclear war? Mm-hmm. Are, uh, are we going to lose our security, our nation's security because we've become some, you know, is our president is some puppet to Russia um, and then they're going to overtake us because he's so stupid and, you know, there's just so much going on. Like I'm stressed all the time and yeah. watching the news has, I feel like a double standard. It's like I need to. I'm obligated to. It's a. I need to stay active. I need to up my game as mm-hmm. a civilian, as a as my civil rights. I need to be on top of it. It's a, my responsibility. I have to fight at every turn. And then there's all those other stuff about my sanity, my personal mm. safety, my 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 well being. It wears on you, and you don't want that to bleed into life, my child, my work, my whatever. So sometimes you have to walk away, take a break and go back stronger. That's something that we talk about a lot. Oh, Um, you know, in general, both of us are, you know, activists in in varying ways. And I think I wonder since we're here, since we're talking about this, if you have things that you do for yourself, because we see, especially now that we have this podcast, you know, and where we follow you on Twitter and, and it's amazing because when we're talking about the podcast and something happens, you know, when the election happened, yeah, that Wednesday was a podcast for us. And I think it was what, two in the morning or something. We went into the studio and we recorded a little bumper before that episode aired just saying, you know, choked up as you just were like saying these things and we've seen not only 
your account, but so many of the people from from the show um, on Twitter, on Instagram, on social media saying like, fuck this. You know, this isn't an okay. Be you active here. Donate here, et cetera. So I yeah. wonder, since we're seeing that and so many of our listeners are seeing that, um, if you've found a, a balance or like, what are the things that you do um, to take care of yourself? Yeah, to take care of yourself and like guard against sort of like engagement fatigue, I guess. Yeah. Would be yeah. Way to put it. That's very articulate. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, I just take breaks. Mm-hmm. I read this article the other day about how this office and this polarizing person has created massive disparity no deeper person more personal where mm. it's caused these huge um fractures in families oh, yeah. Yeah. where you can't follow them anymore because of their political views and everybody is trying to outscream the other person well mm-hmm. no i'm right no you're right and it's just getting us nowhere right. yeah right. not in our personal lives with our family you know i my dad came to visit and we didn't talk politics the entire time which is actually kind of shocking and um <laughs> As I'm driving my parents to the airport, my dad says to me on the 405 freeway going south to La Tierra exit, so what do you think of the wall? You know, it went from it went downhill from there. Right. As and you I would tried imagine it very <laughs> hard to take any kind of contempt, any kind of uh, push ex- agenda of my own onto him. I tried really hard to hear what he had to say and what his concerns were. And like, I, he doesn't have a problem with people coming legally. He has a problem with people illegally. And I said, well, you know, do you know how difficult it is to, to come legally is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. You know, are you aware of the steps? You know, I'd love to send you a link on what the process is to get approved to come mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, dad, it's really hard for me to sit in my cushy, position on this side of the wall mm-hmm. and you know cast these judgments because I know you dad and I certainly know me and if there was a better life on the other side of the wall you sure as shit know I'm gonna get there mm-hmm. I will scale whatever wall I will cross whatever land and right. I will swim whatever ocean mm-hmm. for a better life for myself and my child mm-hmm. and I can't judge anybody else for wanting that same thing it's very mm-hmm. hard for me It's deep breath. (laughs) No, I mean, it's a lot. It also, like, while you were talking about your conversation with your dad, it kind of made me think about what you were saying about uh, communicating with your your son. Like, there's this whole other, like, aspect to where we are right now uh, socially in this country with these these familial schisms, right, where, like, everyone's trying to scream each other and, like, also we're all kind of like enduring these emotional wounds. Like there's this emotional level, like your relationship with your parents. It's not just about like, I feel like my political beliefs are correct and yours are incorrect. It's also like, we love each other. How can you not take into consideration like what I'm saying and like what it means to me? You know what I mean? Like the humanity of it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like that gets lost. Hurts my feelings. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously for us, um, politics and our personal identities and our relationships to our family um, come up a lot in the work that we do with buffering. And it's tied so much to uh, the messaging is tied. There's a link. Do you find that now post-election, there's a different tenor to your relationship with the the Buffy verse, the angel verse? Like, is it has it taken on any new meaning for you in this new context? Politically speaking, no, because I 
tend to think <laughs> we have the most intelligent community. <laughs> I think we we're, we're I, I, I totally believe that. I feel like the level of intelligence ups my game. You know, the mm. metaphors that are found, the themes that you've, you know, you've, the threads of connection and, you know, just the things that you've talked about in terms of patriarchy, um, tropes, you know, uh, how you've found connections of homophobia in relationships. Like those are themes when you're making a TV show, you don't even have time to think about. Sure. You're not thinking about that. Right. And You've it's got an the analysis. Yeah. Yeah. The analysis afterward yeah. has been brilliant for me to witness and, and talk with fans about and, mm. and you. Mm. Um, so I, I respect and love our community and they tend to think more broadly, more openly and more all inclusive. Yeah. Like we are one. Mm -hmm. We are all one person and not everybody thinks like that. Yeah. The, I think it's an us them mentality with people that are just meant and, and strive for financial success. I'm on a rant. <laughs> I'm all it. worked up. Yes. <laughs> I love a rant. I actually um it, this might be a good time to talk about some of the things that you're doing now because I know you just started a podcast. I right? did. I yeah. did. So do you want to tell our listeners about that if they don't? I'm sure a lot of them know already, but Oh, do they? Um that's so 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 kind of you to say. <laughs> um it's called The Opposite Sex Show. It's with my very good friend Christian Majeski who I met on a dating app. And <laughs> you know, it's very modern, very modern. Um <laughs> we're both single people podcasting together. Um we were not a romantic fit, but we are a friend fit. Mm. And it uh, turns out a bit a good, you know, business fit, yeah. you know, he, where his uh, technical uh, assets come into play, my chatty. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like our dynamic. Is it? Who's who? Who's I'm the chatty. You're chatty and you're tech. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. But you're also a songstress. Yes. So very artsy too. Um, it's great because, I mean, I would love to have you guys on my podcast just because I want to talk to you about podcasting and the world of it and, and oh, how, yeah. how the growth and how you came up to do it and then yeah. what makes your podcast great and, and I, the whole thing, you know, uh, obviously you've, you've you're dialed in and you get it and you know what to do and you know how to develop an audience and, and still not compromise what's important to you, mm -hmm. which is just awesome. And I'm very proud of you. But uh, anyway, uh, our show is The Opposite Sex Show <laughs> with Christian Majeski and myself. And, you and just it's a topical it, right? show. Huh? You just started it. It's, it's we did. We have, I think, five episodes up yeah. right now. Um, mm -hmm. We are about to drop an episode about porn. Ooh, and um, and then we, it, it is, isn't it? Um, and I just really am getting to know how conservative I am and how much, <laughs> how opinionated I am, and and how I look forward to broadening those horizons, you mm -hmm. know, and and uh, having more empathy and compassion for, uh, and leaving more room for people to be people, yeah. you know, and and getting educated on stuff, like sexy this, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we talked a little bit at the start about like the confidence that you have when you're young because, yes. you know, for whatever reason, we said maybe it's because you haven't fallen so hard. And when we were talking about that, I was just thinking about my perspective now. You know, I'm 38 and my- Shut up. You are my, not. My space- You guys, she looks not a day over 28. Says <laughs> How old are you? I'm uh, 37. 
Oh my God, you guys look like babies. This is crazy. It's like, I feel like you must know that you also look the exact same that you looked on the show that we're I watching. Not. It's 22 years old, but. You're very kind to say that. <laughs> I hope true. I've we're matured. Probably um, have a selfie to prove it. You know what I mean? You're so sweet. But um, no, beautiful, beautiful girls. But uh, Women. <laughs> but I just. Girls I, sound so demeaning. I, <laughs> well, not when we're all, you know. <laughs> well, it it's sounds really patronized. Weird. I don't mean to sound that way, but women, you're beautiful women. <laughs> Thank you. That's very our sound bite. We're going to start the. <laughs> <laughs> the whole interview was just that. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I just wonder um, if there's something that, you know, that sure, maybe back at the beginning when you were auditioning for Buffy and, you know, you didn't know what it was like to fall on your face that um, you had a certain confidence. But I wonder what it's like now, oh, later, like sort of like, what are the advantages? And I ask this sort of self-serving because I'm exploring it for myself as well. I think what are you exploring? Just what age does uh, okay. in, in the positive. Like I think about some of the confidence that I have now at 38. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially like as a single person, I'm like, I'm single and 38. And I, if I had this confidence when I was 22, what would my life have looked like? Because I didn't have that confidence. And I think it comes from my experience and in the world. And so I wonder... Youth is wasted on the young. It tr Truly. <laughs> that, that phrase has been in my mind for at least a year. Um, but I wonder, you know, whether it's from a career place or a personal place or what have you, um, how it feels for you um, to, to not be, you know, it's a, to have it not be 1995 with your beeper, but rather for it to be 2019 <laughs> with your iPhone. <laughs> um, what, what, I, what I wanted to say to what you're saying is, you know, what's interesting about what you said is like you haven't fallen on your face. I actually had fallen on my face long before I was on the pursued acting professionally mm. and uh, overcame a lot of personal struggles um, in my home life with my family. Mm. And I had also had nearly been raped and my two friends were shot protecting me. So I had encountered a great deal of hardships. And I think what what I think that is about confidence when you're younger is you're just resilient. And, mm, and the, yeah. I, at least I think we are. I don't know if that made me more confident. I, I think it. I'm obviously traumatized by the experience and it has layered and put a filter on how I see things in the world and are affected by things for sure. But I think that it did build a certain level of confidence in that like a cancer survivor would feel like, don't sweat the small stuff. I've mm. just survived cancer. Right. Wow. You know, in a certain extent, you're like, I've overcome a lot. Don't sweat the small stuff. Mm -hmm. Like this whole like audition thing in the scheme of life means what? Right. Mm -hmm. right. But when we get older and you have a mortgage and a child and college oh, yeah. ahead and you, you start thinking about how can I provide? How can I provide for my mm -hmm. family? And this, you build it up to mean so much like this job will affect my life like this because you know how it will affect your life yeah, economically. Right. And I think then you know the stakes and the stakes just get higher. Mm -hmm. When you're younger, I didn't have a child. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't, you know, there was just less yeah. to worry about. And all I was worrying about was, and that's totally okay. And that's normal. And that's how it's supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of being able and allowed the room to be your age is mm -hmm. what I mean. Yeah. Not that, uh, it's not okay to have a mortgage at 20 or I did have a mortgage <laughs> at 28, but, um, I'm just saying it, it's okay. Wherever you are is okay. And, and I think that we need to leave room for our kids in that regard. And, and if I could be kinder to my 20 year old self or my 30 year old self in the sense that I was critical and I did, um, get affected by 
expectations, physical expectations that were put on me by my job. You have to look a certain way. And I was pigeonholed to look a certain way, which then meant that I couldn't have a voice, right? So I was just a pretty thing to look at, which is very, and that isn't an old, that is an old theme where growing up in my house, you know, it's not my mom's fault. She was raised at a time when this was very important that you be pretty and well-spoken enough to get a man, to be a nice arm candy piece, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So that was her big aspiration for me. That was the only reason why, and I think to this day why I didn't take the SATs. I I was in a way very progressive, but then not. Mm -hmm. So it's always just been like my whole life sort of trying to marry those two, where when I did get married, I was the breadwinner. When I had my child, I was the breadwinner, and I was having to make financial decisions on on my own, I had a support in my partner that was not traditional. Right. It was an emotional support, it, it, which is, let me tell you, as an actress, you need. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, I'm, I am not demeaning his part in our marriage yeah. at, at, at all. It was, it, was, it was necessary, and he was a great pillar of support at, at a very fragile time. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was, I was becoming more popular, on a popular show, becoming more popular and and getting recognized places and and there's a lot of responsibility in that mm-hmm. and uh without his being there you know and having that love and support i i would have certainly um who knows yeah i mean i feel like yeah. i feel like what's really wonderful about this conversation is i love when we are just able to have a conversation you know <laughs> like cuz what Less like a Q&A. Sure. It's been like 22 years since Buffy has been on air. I'm sure you've done many interviews where you've answered, you know, this question or that question. And I think what's really fun is like, where are we now? Who are we now? Like, it's. I think it's really beautiful and wonderful. Um, I have just a couple of like tiny little things that are less conversational, but that I'm Let's interested go. Shoot. in since we have you here. Um, there's two things. One, there's a, a reboot, even though that's not the right word, but... That, that we've learned that Buffy is coming back. I heard, but then I haven't heard anything. I know. I mean, I don't. we don't know when, but we know it's mm-hmm. happening. It is happening? For sure, for sure? I mean, who knows here, but I think so. I haven't well, heard otherwise. Right. That they're doing a Buffy with a new Slayer and new mm-hmm. people, yeah. but Joss is overseeing. I've heard yeah. that too. I, I don't. I don't know anything more than that. Right. I mean, we I, for, I have not been invited no to be a knows. part of it. <laughs> right. That's really Yet. the question is, do you have, like, as the show comes back, would you have any hopes, wants, dreams, not necessarily like for you, but for the show, um, if and when it comes back. Well, I think David Boreanaz was very generous in saying, like, how wonderful, you know, we need another Slayer right now. Yeah, right. (laughs) We need another person to look up to. I am not sure how I feel about it because I don't know a lot about it. I. I don't think there was anything wrong with the original. I think it's kind of perfect, actually. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, why yeah. revisit it? And I think it's kind of. Uh, I I would like to rather than see all of these reboots and why can't we go back to people being less financially insecure that are in positions of power to make these decisions to greenlight stuff? Mm. Why can't we greenlight more original content? Mm-hmm. I would be more interested in that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, but if they invited me to come along, of course I would go. <laughs> I mean, I say that, but right. I don't know. I think J- um, James said that he, he would, uh, was hoping to be the watcher, the, the next watcher oh, somehow. Yeah. Oh, but, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, 
but you you also have we're on the cusp of the 20th anniversary of angel we are so do you have any big plans uh, well, we're thinking, so it's October. We mm-hmm. have to do something, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know what it will be. Um, I think there is a great deal of us going to New York Comic Con, which I've never attended before, ah. but um, I think there's a great deal of people doing that. Well, I live there, so. You live I'll, in New York? Yeah, perhaps I'll bring. Both of you do? I live here. You live here yeah. and you live in New York. How yeah. do you guys make this work? Well, remotely? We, bo- we lived here at the start. Both of us lived here. Oh. Um, so it's newer for us to be remote, but we just talk on the phone and record on good mics, and it sounds like we're in the same room, so. We've been yeah. doing all right. But yeah, I, maybe I'll brave the Javits Center. It's so, it's so crowded. It's easier, I think. Is there something I don't know? Were you guys together at one point? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and now the interviewing. Cordelia. <laughs> Amazing. We, um, we were together for 10 years and oh, married shit. for five. Shit. And we got <laughs> and you divorced, just recently divorced a year ago in the middle of the podcast. And we are, yeah. Do your viewers know this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. they do. Um, we kind of had to, uh, the way that things work these days with social media, right, like the beginning of the podcast for us was in our house. They knew our house. They knew our cat. They so there was Shit. there was really no way forward except to be like we have an announcement to make, and this is the announcement. So it's been a it's, season four has been a crazy season for us, um, but we did it. <laughs> well, that's interesting. It's like um, my ex husband and I raising our child together, co parenting separately. You're kind of doing that. This is your baby, and you guys are right. uh, co parenting. Yeah. And doing this together. That's, That's amazing. How we talk about it. It's sort of like if you have enough love for a thing, then, you know, the difficulty. And for each other. Out. Let's not. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It's, you know, you have to obviously have mutual respect and um, of course. to be able to be in the same room together. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> you do sometimes, you know, when you're not in agreement with one another about things, you put your stuff aside for the betterment of the child. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Whatever. So real. Good for you. Good for you, too. <laughs> You're like... In a journey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just start crying, both of us. <laughs> oh. Isn't that funny and cute? Uh, it's been a ride. So, been well, a ride. I'm I'm impressed. I really them. like that you picked that up. You were like, there's something I What's going on? Because I thought you guys were together, and then I didn't know, and then you're moving. How do you make this work? And right. We have so much to talk about we after do. the podcast. We do. <laughs> Um, well, for now, at least, probably the last thing we should say is, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you want to talk about? Or is there anything oh, that you geez. want to say to her? You know, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure Just in case all. we miss uh, anything important. Um, uh, I don't know when this is coming out. It might be too late. But April 15th, Netflix is launching No Good Nick. I'm going to be on an episode of that. Not on April 15th. But there's a new show on Netflix that is starring Sean Astin. Oh, and wow. um Melissa Joan Hart and guest starring me and some of my favorite other people that guest starred as well, like Johnny Silverman and um, Eddie McClintock. Um, and then I just did an episode with the wonderful and fantastic showrunner Tim Minear, um and John Gray, who were Angel alumni, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Al- alumnus. And so uh, we we got to work together again, and that made me so happy to be able to say his words. I mean, it's the bad part about doing such a great, great show so early in your career is oh, you yeah. never get those you, – you, you get spoiled. You don't get mm-hmm. writing like that all right. the time. And mm-hmm. you have, it's a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. It's rude. It's sure. very <laughs> confrontational. <laughs> it's like, this is shit. <laughs> I want my old writers back. <laughs> so when Tim calls and says, I want to have you on, you're like, 
Oh, swoon. <laughs> I get to say your words. It makes me so happy. So 911, I think that airs May 13th. Oh, 911. Um, for Fox. Yeah. Uh, which I think is like the biggest show of the hour or on that network. I don't know. What I wanted to ask you, is there any question from a listener that you want to ask me before Ooh, I go? We didn't, we didn't do. Oh, we didn't tell them. That's right. That's right. That's right. You told me that because at the beginning. Because we want to blow their blow minds. Their minds. Blow their minds. Um, but I, I have a feeling that definitely our listeners would have asked um, if there's anything that you would have wanted to see from Cordelia's arc that you didn't, or if there's like a favorite piece of Cordelia's arc, you know, something two that things. Yes, she would have lasted longer. Hell that would yeah. have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and two, that the spinoff Cordy, the sitcom that they did on Angel, is probably one of my favorite episodes. Oh I will come back and visit you guys for additional questions if they come up, and then we can prep your followers, listeners, listeners. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, on my arrival, and then we can just do uh, 20 questions. That you know, would I, be so special and so fun. A gunslinger style. Yeah. Like, yeah. off the top of your head, really <laughs> go, quick, go, now, go, 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 go. We can do something <laughs> fun See, like did that. did you hear that? So we surprised you all, but also you will get a chance to ask Christmas <laughs> questions. You can't leave them hanging win. like that. Yeah. You guys, thank you so much for having me. Thank I have you. to go to a teacher's conference. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much you for so being much. here. Thanks for having us. And for everything that you've done and continue to do. I appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Yes, thank you. Well, we did it. No one we can did say it. we didn't. We talked we really did charisma. It. We had a hell of a conversation. Thank oh. you so much to her for for spending the time with us and and having the conversation. Yes, for being so gracious with uh, with her time. We are so thankful. We know all of you are so thankful. Uh, we also, speaking of being thankful, uh, we want to remind everybody that we have that T-shirt up for sale, that 100% of the profits are going to benefit Raices. Um, really important work being done by Raices right now in a very crazy time. Bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Click on shop and we'll be raising money through July 31st over there. Um, and you know, we're coming back in September and we're very excited about it. It's not that far away. Yes. And we hope that yes, you have like, yes. you know, a good summer. And if you want to follow us, um, for, for these new projects that we have, you should do that. Jenny, where can they find you? They can find me at Jenny Owen Young's all over the gosh darn internet. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> Uh, you can you can find me on the gosh darn internet by going to Kristen Nolene, kind of anywhere. K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. That's my website. It's my Instagram. It's my Twitter. Follow us in all of those places. And of course, follow Buffering at BufferingCast on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. You can find out all about the things coming your way. We have a pretty fun fucking poster coming your way from Kate Leth. God damn it. Ooh. Ooh. But anyway. Thank it's you, a spicy charisma. little meatball, I'll tell you what. Yes, thank you, Charisma. <laughs> Thanks to all of you, especially to the folks who sent in uh, happy birthday voice memos. You rock. Yes. And um, where else to end this beautiful, beautiful time with Charisma Carpenter, but with the beloved Cordelia Jingle. Till September. Ah, uh, uh, Cordelia. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.